Hello, 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 my fact friends and fiends. We are back. Season 3. The real season 3. And it will be happening soon. We are just putting those finishing touches on a lovely set of confusing stories. Quests with no ends, as of yet. And potentially some of those updates we have on cold cases that we discussed in previous seasons. But we also have paranormal or extraterrestrial phenomenon to discuss as well. Remember, we're here to talk about the facts, as reported. Some old voices, some new voices, and some voices in between, which would be mine, are going to be here once again. So get ready with a trip down memories memory lane with these friend-voted favorite episodes. Don't worry, I didn't go for the Cecil Hotel or anything. We remember that one. And if you don't, please feel free to hit pause and go back. Nate Ruger and I take turns blowing each other's minds. However, without further ado, I bring you The Life, Murder, and Legacy of Jam Master Jay, as presented by Francois the Great from Season 1. I hope you have as much fun as we did the first time we did this, and get ready for those new episodes coming soon. If you or a loved one has been diagnosed with an acute obsession of true crime, caught discussing tragic events with unwilling participants, or kept awake at night by the paranormal or just plain absurd, you've found the right place. All others, beware of catching this dangerous bug as we begin to talk about the facts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Talk About the Facts. And for those of you who are joining for the first time, just so you know, we are a podcast about, you know, unsolved cases, interesting things, paranormal, aliens, that's our last episode, and really interesting things I felt like researching. But today is a twist. I have invited a guest who is going to tell me a story, and it's going to be wild. So today I have with me Francois the Great. Hello, everybody. And tell us stuff about yourself. Well, uh, Francois the Great of Luminary Sounds. Um, I actually have a podcast uh, called Luminary Sounds. Woo! We actually uh, discover the undiscovered. So any musicians out there or any musical artists that uh, undiscovered that want a spot or, or you know, want to have their music heard, you know, definitely check out our Instagram or our YouTube. And uh, we pretty much do uh, video interviews right now, just being that we're in the pandemic with a lot of uh, upcoming artists that are, you know, about to just emerge on the scene. And we actually just had one earlier this week, and we're going to be releasing that uh, soon. So, um, uh, Definitely check us out, uh, luminary-sounds.com. And if you're an artist, uh, send us a submission. That is so exciting, and I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. I'll make sure that all of our um, promotional stuff has his handle and the links to get um, get to his podcast and all of that. So don't worry if you forget any of the handles it will be available to you on our Instagram and our Twitter as well. And of um, course, shout out to my co-hosts, K Don't Play and Junior Leto as well. Yes. 
<laughs> you can't forget them. <laughs> nope. So I invited Francois the Great here to tell us a glorious and very interesting and tragic um, musical unsolved um, mystery, I should say, even though there has been an update. And yes. that's what we will be doing. And basically, you know, some cold cases get more attention than others. And it, I personally, and I believe Francois as well, yes. feel like this one does not get us enough attention. And if Absolutely. anything, I'm known for banging pots and pans for that. And that's what we're going to be doing today. So we are going to go back to the year of 2002. And That's let fine. me give you some context. If anybody has forgotten 2002, I did not realize what had happened in 2002 until I looked it up because of how young I was. I was 11 years old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things fly over your head. <laughs> Look, 11 years old, you probably had, you know, your Starbucks. I mean, not Starbucks here, your Starburst candy. I did. Uh, you, you had like all of your, let me think. I mean, of course, I don't know what type of hairstyles you had at that time, but you, Very you had emo. your favorite hairstyle. <laughs> um, yeah, had... you, you went to school and then you, you probably, I don't know, maybe started noticing boys. Maybe. No, I was really invested in my TV shows, which were Unsolved Mysteries, the Golden Girls and the Nanny. The Golden Girls. <laughs> I know, and I grew wow. up to be one. You definitely have an old soul. <laughs> I do. An old cranky soul, too. <laughs> I have yelled at a child to get off my lawn before. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, 2002. I mean, isn't it so crazy? We're 18 years from that time now. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And, I mean, yeah. Today is the 12th that we are recording. Um, this won't be the day that it's published, but it's odd to think 2002. That's the year after 9-11 happened. Yes. And so a lot of crazy stuff really happened. Um, so first, No Child Left Behind was signed by George W. Bush. Bad decision all around. Uh, that's because teachers were basically forced to teach to a test and not give students life skills or problem solving skills. And that's not teacher's fault. Throwing that no. down. No. And as a young person, I was obviously forced to go through no child left behind. That sucked. Um, I, yeah. yeah, you would think, cause like students who are much smarter, would have to be held back because they're waiting for the students who are struggling and those students couldn't get the proper help that they needed because there was no way to actually help anybody, you know? Right. So that's basically like there, it was, it was a bad situation and it's still going on by the way, that's still in place. Um, that's why, you know, wow people from foreign countries think that our children aren't are so behind um right. a friend of mine was an exchange student for a while and when he went back to i believe japan and i, I hope that's the right country i am so sorry if you're listening <laughs> um he had to take remedial classes to go mm. back and i'm like or to be like caught up in school and i'm like yeah 
that sounds about right. And like, you're looking at, oh, we had to change math to this crazy way of doing things. It doesn't make any sense. And instead of the simple way, which is how I learned it, I can't even help kids with math because I don't understand how they're solving equations now. Yeah, I think it's so funny you bring that up because I think one of the areas where, as America, we can definitely do much better in is just our knowledge on what goes on outside of our window, Mm -hmm. meaning, you know, what goes on in different countries. Because I feel like when you live here in this country, and this is just my opinion, it's basically America and then there's everybody else. And it shouldn't be that way. I feel that Mm -hmm. we should have an idea of what goes on in Russia, what goes on in, in Japan what goes on in you know various countries to where we we're knowledgeable um and it's if you ask any american about a, another country outside of the united states of america our knowledge is not a lot it's not a, it's not a, a a very knowledgeable you know it's not coming from a a, a, a plethora of knowledge i'll say mm-hmm. they'll know maybe just one or two things and that's it Mm-hmm. And and um, I think other countries see that, and uh, you know that's kind of where you know to expound on what you were saying. You know that comes from you know people are just like what what's going on here in America. Mm-hmm. I agree, and I think it's like a little bit of arrogance on America because it's like we're the only ones that matter. We're going to listen, or we're right. only going to learn our history and like a brief overview of everyone else. But also we don't take into account systems and like methods that other countries implement in their educational um their educational systems and I think that other educational systems have great success rates and teaching to a test we know doesn't work to produce like people who are satisfied with the education they got, we know that that does not work. And so, um, absolutely sharing the knowledge of educational systems across the world, similar to what you're saying, I think that's very important. And I wish that we had somebody in charge of the educational department who was willing to take that, that step and be like, Hey, I am willing to go to New Zealand and see how they do it. I'm willing to go to France and see how they do it. I'm willing to go to India and see how they do it. What do you think works well for our culture? Because what we're doing right now does not work. Right. Um, But yeah, so that, you know, that's no child left behind. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Um, Other things in 2002. Uh, we had the Winter Olympics in Utah. I don't know if you remember that, but in Salt yes, Lake I City. do. Yeah, I kind of feel like the Winter Olympics is one of those hidden gems that kind of gets left out of a lot of things because yeah. most people look at the Summer Olympics as you know the big one, but uh, the Winter Olympics is very fun too. As if you mm-hmm. you know just pay attention to it and watch a lot of it. There's a lot of talented. Um, a lot of talented people that, you know, work in, in those events and athletes that work hard to get there. So, oh, yeah, my fa- it's my favorite because I love ice skating and I love snowboarding. And I think the I hope this is the right Olympics, but I think it was Michelle Kwan in that one. She might have been in the 1998. 
And she was like my favorite athlete of I all. I think she was in the two thousand two as well. I think you're right. Yeah, and I that's all I watched for was like the ice skating and yeah. I think Peekaboo Street was there for snow like women's snowboarding and that's what I cared about. I was like, yes, let's do it. So oh, with yeah. the whole Tanya Hot and Nancy Kerrigan thing, you probably were all over that. Oh, huh? like in the back, <laughs> like after, because you know. <laughs> I wasn't alive yet. That was before Elizabeth. But right, afterward, right. I was like, yes, tell me this drama. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for this drama. <laughs> you know. Um, so speaking of drama, yes. uh, 2002, yes. the remains of Chandra Levy were found in Rock Creek Park because we know that pre-9-11, she went missing. And so now we know oh. she was murdered. Still unsolved. Wow. We should do an episode on that. You should. Because coming he, soon. <laughs> coming soon <laughs> to a podcast near you. Um, <laughs> we also had Elizabeth Smart. She was kidnapped, age fourteen, from Salt Lake City, Utah, and she would be rescued nine months later. Which I do remember this. I remembered being obsessed with this because yeah. one, we have the same name. Two, <laughs> it was like we are roughly the same age. So she was fourteen. I was eleven. And I remember, like, thinking, oh, my God, where are they going to find her? Is she somewhere near here? And I was in Arkansas at the time. So, no. Wow, I can't believe that was in 2002 because I think everyone remembers that. And the crazy thing about it was I remember when it happened, I just thought, I hope she's not dead. I hope she's not dead. So when she actually was found... Oh man! I, I yeah. mean, and then I know just recently, I think she just had a special mm-hmm. on TV where they kind of, uh, you know, spoke to her about the events and everything uh, that that led up to her being rescued. But an amazing story. I'm I'm just glad she's okay and she's, she's now living her life. Absolutely. And moving forward. Because that's like the best case scenario. Because nine months that's a very that's a long, long time. time. Yeah. Yeah. But it can happen. It can happen at any point um i also remember like danielle van damme went missing around the same time but she sadly didn't make it and yeah so it was like one of those they were both really highly publicized and so as a kid and i spoke about this in the first episode we did it was a uh missing case for 25 years and i was like as a kid like you know all these missing children cases were so glamorized and on the 24-hour news cycle all the time that like basically we were we were prepped to get kidnapped at any time like we were like let's do it no (laughs) and i think like it's one of those things where it was like oh no like we know what happened to daniel van damme but um i think that's who it was uh but we had so much hope for the next one and we always hoped that for the best for the next one. And like Elizabeth smart was one of those who like, there's always hope that whoever could come home, you know? Absolutely. Um, but, uh, to swing away from the sadness and into the, I guess, politics, I don't know, you know, like the normal, like, life stuff. Homeland Security was established in 2002. Really? It feels like we've always had it, but we have not. It does. Um, yeah, they were. it was established in late in the year, and the dot-com bubble knocked out 
part of the stock market again. And I think this is the end of the dot-com bu- like bubble. Um, there were a couple scandals. Enron was 2001, but there was like two more in 2002. So I think this was like the end of it. And then things that are going on, uh, the Iraqi no-fly zone was about to end. It went on from 1991 to ni- uh, 2003. And then th- we... Um, we're still in the war in Afghanistan and the war on terror. Cause that's 2001 to present. Wow. Yeah. Wild. I always forget. We're still doing that. Um, cause wow. It just, it, it makes you think how many things happen during the course of a year. Yeah. Those are just the big hitters. There was, there were so many more, there were so many more like, uh, hate crimes against, um, Muslims and such, like American Muslims and such, like such that you know, I didn't want to name them. And then there were quite a few like domestic terrorist attacks by like shooters and stuff, all white people. And Hmm. you gotta say statistics. Uh, Yeah. And you know, that's no different than any year. So I was like. So I just decided to hit some of the big points. And you did just that. Yeah. You did. Um, but we are going to go to, I believe, New York City. We're going to New York City. Going to New York. Jamaica, Queens. Woohoo! Um, the, the death of Jam Master J. Um, as you said, this is one that we both are, you know, want to know more about and, and, you know, we're fans of music and it's one that really wasn't talked about a lot in, in the media. Uh, it did have, you know, a day or two where people really did reflect on it. Um, but it's something we're going to, to talk about today, Mm -hmm. um, and and go into some of the, the facts and some of the, the stories and, and some of the, the gossip about, you know, the death around Jam Master J. And, uh, you know, um, of course, this is something that was unexpected uh, because when you talk about Jam Master J, uh, for some of you that are not familiar, uh, he is the DJ of the most influential, hottest, you know, group at the time in the 80s, uh, known to us as Run DMC. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty much uh, the the group in hip hop. A lot of people looked at them as you know the Beatles of hip hop. You know they pretty much were the first to do just about everything when it came to hip hop. They were the first to go platinum. Uh, they were the first to you know have uh, endorsement with a, a shoe deal with Adidas, um, and they pretty much brought hip hop to the mainstream. And then, of course, uh, we spoke about it earlier, you know, off the microphones, you know, just off, off of our recording here. Uh, when they actually did the, the song with Aerosmith, Walk This Way, they generated worldwide, you know, attention. And um, Jam Master J was a part of that, um, a.k.a. Jason Mizell. So, uh Fast forward to October 30th, 2002, um, in a New York recording studio in Jamaica, Queens, um, Jam Master J was shot by 
still an unknown person. Uh, we'll get into some of these things later. Now they feel that they the person is known. Um, and the crazy thing about this that I always thought was um, it was on a cold, rainy night, of course. Uh, New York City, I don't know how many of you are, are familiar with East Coast weather. In October, uh, the weather gets pretty cold, especially late October. Um, so to, you know, go out during a time like this when it's already cold, either you, you have intention with wherever you're going because most people, when it's very cold, you're not really going anywhere. So I just want to kind of paint the picture for you. Um, it's already cold and it's nighttime. So, um... In the studio, there were five people. Actually, there, there's six people. Correction. There's a receptionist. There's Jam Master J. His friend Tony. Uh, Mike B. His friend Rand, uh, Randy. And a female recording artist. So, the reason why they're actually in this recording studio on this particular night is... Jam Master J has a group called Rusty Waters, and they're prepping for their tour. So they're recording and going over some of the songs that they're going to be doing for their tour, and Jay's getting them ready for their tour. So they, they all meet up at the recording studio that night to get ready for this tour. Um, uh, Jam Master J had his own record uh, label uh, called Jam Master J Records. Mm, yeah, I remember that. Yes, and, and Rusty Waters is um, a part of this label. Um, mm -hmm. He actually started this label with his friend Ray. Mm -hmm. um, so we get to the night where, you know, the crazy thing about it is uh, this uh, shooting has generated some interest in Netflix. So Netflix came out with a documentary called Remastered, Who Shot Jam Master Jay? Mm -hmm. And in this documentary, they actually state that when you're actually going into the recording studio, there is a long flight of stairs that take you up to the studio. And then there's a hallway when you get up to the top of the stairs. And when you basically uh, end that hallway uh, to your left, uh, a receptionist is sitting there. So it's it's kind of you know it's not like you open a door and you know there's a studio right in front of you you have to go up some stairs you know you have to go down a hallway mm -hmm. and um you have to be buzzed in so even before you even get to the, these stairs someone has to buzz you in so the first thing that people always speak about is the receptionist had to have been familiar with whoever this person was mm -hmm. because you're not just going to buzz in anybody right so that that brings us to to the first thing uh the, this person was buzzed in and along with this person came in the second person uh and it was two people so the second person held uh, allegedly held the receptionist at gunpoint and then uh the shooter actually shot Jam Master J and shot his friend Tony in the ankle. Now, his friend Tony did survive, um, and he's living today. 
um, the three people, the other three people were in the control room. So they were in another room in the recording studio, which was Mike B, Randy, and a female recording artist that's unnamed. So they were in a separate room from Jam Master J, Tony, and the receptionist. So um, once they shoot and kill Jam Master J, they leave. So when they leave, uh, it's it's been said that there's been so many different stories. And, you know, I wanted us to go into some of these stories because Absolutely. some of these stories, you know, have grown legs with some people. And some of them, you know, some people say, you know what, there's no way, mm-hmm. you know, th- this could even be a possible story. Mm-hmm. So the first story is. His business partner's name is Ray. Uh, Ray was a childhood friend of Jam Master J's. They grew up together. And I mentioned earlier, they, they had a recording label called Jam Master J Records. For some of you that don't know, Jam Master J Records, um, he basically put out Onyx. And he's well known for starting the career of 50 Cent. And I'm sure oh, yeah. a lot of you are known with 50 Cent because 50 Cent came out with uh, the masterpiece that, you know, went multi-platinum called Get Rich or Die Trying, that album. Mm-hmm. And now he, he's an executive producer to a big time show on stars called Power. Yes. Uh, yeah. So Jam Master J actually helped 50 Cent get his start by, you know, starting his, his music label. Uh, so this friend of his pretty much was the overseer of this record label. He would pretty much help all the artists. And uh, one of the claims was that he was stealing money from Jam Master J. Oh. And uh, what happened was from the actual documentary, the two of them had a life insurance policy together. This policy has not come up and it hasn't been brought to the table. It just came about through a conversation um, through the police and an unknown person that, you know, they, they will not say their name, uh, that there was a, a life insurance policy between Jam Master J's good friend and business partner, Ray, and Jam Master J. Uh, most people don't believe this claim because mm-hmm. they say at the time of his death in October 2002, they just signed a $1 million deal with Virgin Records. Uh, so they partnered with Virgin Records, uh, you know, so they actually had a, a joint venture deal with Jam Master J Records and, and Virgin, and Virgin just gave them a million dollars. So a lot of people don't believe that his business partner uh, would do something like that when they just got a million dollars you know, from Virgin Records, people would say, people were saying, why would he want to kill him? That doesn't make any sense. And another thing too was Jam Master J was a family man and uh, he got married. And when he got married, his business partner was his best man at his wedding. So Mm -hmm. they were very close. So a lot of people look at that and they go, no, that doesn't make any sense. You know, this guy was his best man at his wedding. No, there's no way. So that's that's one story that, you know, ha- was floating around for many years. Uh, the next one, of course, is, uh, you know, uh, living in, in the area where Jam Master J grew up. Unfortunately, there's there's areas that are not the best of areas. And, and with those areas, you know, you have all different types of, 
you know, drugs and, and, and people that are doing things that they, they shouldn't be doing. And um, there is a, a big time drug lord uh, named Kenneth Supreme McGruff. And uh, a lot of people may not be familiar with Supreme, but, you know, he basically ran uh, Queens, New York um, in the eighties. And, uh, he is now in jail. Um, I, I think he's going to begin out soon. Oh, um, I don't know exactly when, but he, he went to jail for, you know, various, various charges. But at the time, um, he had issues, uh, with 50 cent because his good friends were Irv Gotti and Ja Rule. And, uh, oh. Irv Gotti, is the head of Murder Inc. Records. So when this alleged claim came about, people kind of looked at this and gave it legs because mm-hmm. Jam Master J was from Queens. Supreme, you know, did go to Queens a lot and, and he, he had a lot of business dealings in, in, in Queens. And he was, he's been seen many times with with Ja Rule and and um, Irv Gotti and many people know that Ja Rule and Fifty Cent did not get along. Um, so many people say that uh, Kenneth Supreme McGriff wanted to actually get Fifty Cent, but since he knew that Jam Master J was affiliated with Fifty Cent, he was going to send a message to Fifty Cent by taken out jam master j interesting that's i haven't heard that one yeah so so there and um to kind of uh elaborate on this uh it kind of came to a head this uh came to a, a head even more when in the early 2000s uh there was a track that 50 cent had called the ghetto quran now, this track was never really released. It, it just leaked out in the early 2000s. And in this track, um, 50 Cent is talking about uh, Supreme's drug life and his drug history and everything that he did and, and how he ran his business and everyone around him. And in the street, people looked at 50 Cent as he was snitching and he was just basically talking about a, a code in the street that he should have not even touched on so most people felt like at some point in time supreme was going to deal with him at some point in time and he was going to let 50 cent know that he did not appreciate him basically rapping about his life story on a rap song and uh they they of course have spoken to supreme since of course supreme mm-hmm. has denied all of this saying that he was very good friends with Jam Master J. He, he, he knew of him and he had no problems with him and they didn't have any problems at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's even said on record that he did not know that 50 Cent was signed to Jam Master J. But it does make for a very interesting conversation that he is affiliated with a guy that 50 Cent has problems with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to this day, Ja Rule still doesn't get along with 50 Cent. So it, it makes it makes for a very interesting conversation. Yeah, it does. That's a very compelling one. Yeah. And, and then um, there, there is the last one where 
people. Uh, and uh, this is the one that actually is going to be the one that seems to be the one that sticks in stone. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's the one now that the cops have really went towards and, and really um, used as their charge. Uh, just these last couple of months here is the drug deal that's gone wrong. So there was a friend of Jam Master J's called Curtis Schoon. Mm-hmm. And uh, supposedly, um, you know, as the years went by, Jam Master J, you know, they said he was a he was a giver. You know, if you knew him or if you were a part of his family, if you needed a car, he would get it for you. If you needed a house, he would get it for you. But of course, as times changed and Run DMC was not the focal point in hip hop music and you had different artists that were emerging, you know, you had your LL Cool J, your mm-hmm. Jay-Z, etc. Um, Run DMC kind of went into the background. Mm-hmm. And when you go into the background, if you're not established financially somewhere else, you know, if you don't have your money in stocks or you don't have various businesses the money and the well can run dry. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, known that, you know, people were saying that Jay was running out of money. So he was trying to find different ways to bring in money and he was in debt at the time. So uh, he decided to turn to dealing drugs um, with a friend of his named Curtis Schoon. Now, Curtis Schoon and him supposedly went and did this drug deal and uh when they did this drug deal uh something happened to where the person they were going to meet to do this drug deal was not present at the time so when that happens of course you're not going to travel to make a deal and come home empty-handed you're going to turn to a plan b Mm -hmm. so they turned over to their plan b And when they turned over to their plan B, the plan B didn't turn out so good. That plan B put them $180,000 in debt. So with them going $180,000 in debt, uh, many believe that Curtis Schoon was not happy with this debt and came after Jam Master J because he, he wanted his money back. Um, and that, that was another crazy thing too, as well, because Curtis Schoon grew up with Jam Master J. They were also childhood friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, it was crazy because we're going to fast forward from 2002 to now 2007. Now I kind of feel that it's kind of crazy. I can't believe that the law enforcement here in the United States could let five years go by without convicting somebody and then having to revisit something. I kind of find that really weird. I don't know about you, Elizabeth, but that's yeah. kind of just crazy. I mean, I, I, it's crazy, but I'm not, I'm not surprised. Yes. After all of my digging into unsolved murders and things like that, I roast police a lot. Oh, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. So, Five years go by, and uh, the receptionist that I was speaking about earlier. Yeah, that's who I'm, I'm like, I need to know what she saw. Yeah, so she actually um, gave uh, 
actual report to the cops back in 2002. Mm-hmm. But they they didn't even they kind of swept it under the rug. What? Her name is Lydia High, and in her report to the police, there were two things, two very important things that she mentioned to them. Mm-hmm. She basically said that she came face to face with the man who put the gun and held her to the ground face to face and 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 she looked into his eyes and that person was ronald tenard washington now ronald tenard washington was also a good friend of jam master jay's and he also had keys and he also had access to get into the recording studio huh so she made the claim that she said you know what that was the person that held me at gunpoint he held me he didn't shoot jam master j but he was there that was the first fact now the next fact was she said that the gunman that actually shot jam master j had a tattoo on his neck now i don't know how you could get facts like this in 2002 and just sit on it for five years and not do anything exactly i I found that i found that as so baffling and so crazy you know yeah um so the the one that actually brought this to light um when asked about it was his good friend and his business partner ray Mm -hmm. and uh the police of course in 2007 felt bad uh when when it was brought up again when ray brought this up on mtv uh so they started looking into this this case again Mm-hmm. And um, they, they found that the person that actually knew of Jam Master J that could have possibly been the gunman that had a tattoo on his neck uh, was a son of one of his good friends, Darren Jordan, which is known as Big D. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big D had a son, of course, and if his son is Little D, mm-hmm. <laughs> little, little Darren Jordan. Mm-hmm. And Little D had a tattoo on his neck. Um, so the funny thing about it is when they actually go in and do this actual conviction here, which happened um, just a couple of months ago here, the two men that were indicted were Ronald Washington, Ronald Tanad Washington, which I mentioned and, and the receptionist mentioned as mm-hmm. the man the man that held her at gunpoint and Carl Jordan Jr. Um, so they said that uh, Jam Master J had recently acquired 10 kilograms of cocaine from a distributor based in Maryland. And uh, it was Jam Master J, Tenard Washington, and Jordan, and they had an agreement to sell the cocaine, but what happened was Jam Master J cut them out of the deal. So they were upset. And uh, supposedly, um, since they were upset, they decided to retaliate. Now, it, it looks like they both have said that they're going to claim not guilty to both charges. Washington says he's not guilty, as well as Carl Jordan Jr., uh, so we're going to see what happens when their sentencing comes, if, if they actually are let off. But right now, that's exactly where we are in the death of Jam Master J. They've actually indicted two men and uh, both are claiming that they are not guilty. That is wild. 
Yeah, but can you believe in 18 years? It took that long to listen to a woman. Like, it took that long to listen to a woman. Now, another thing, too, that I actually wanted to talk to you about was the recording studio had a couple of rooms. Now, if you heard shooting and you're in another room, I understand you're going to panic. You're probably very afraid. You don't know what's going on. But I kind of find, I mean, there was more, there's only two shooters. Yeah. Two people with guns. And there's like five or six people in the studio. I actually kind of find it interesting that someone from another room didn't come out or run out or try to fight one of them or something what i would have done in that situation had i heard gunshots immediately i would have called like there absolutely there definitely would have been a landline somewhere because it's 2002 and And i forgot to actually mention something i'm glad you brought up landlines because Mm -hmm. in the studio there were five cameras uh, so what actually happened was they actually went back and looked at these cameras. Now, of course, we're in 2002, so we're not up with the 2020 technology that we have now. <laughs> yeah, not so, even. <laughs> so supposedly these cameras were the type of cameras that they would record for 24 hours and then they would re-record themselves after 24 hours. Oh, I hate those. What's the point? <laughs> What's the point? I have no idea. So, which brought more confusion? Because when the cops went to these tapes, they did not know what day they were looking at. And then most of that footage for that day possibly was recorded over. Yeah, gone. Like, so, like, the the recording studio was just stupid. Yes. So, so I, I looked at, that's another loophole. Because if they would have just had a great system, recording system, with five cameras, you would have caught something. Yeah, you would have figured this out. But honestly, her testimony enough, the receptionist's testimony enough was, like, she could have figured that out. This is nuts. Yeah. But also, I'm going to pose a wild idea to you. Yes. Because I did quickly look up Supreme McGriff. And first of all, how have I never heard of this guy? <laughs> he is so interesting. I need to learn so much more about him. But it does say that he... And you will, because there's going to be a film that's going to be done about him very soon. better be done well. It's called The Supreme Team, and it's going to be the executive oh producer God. is Irv Gotti. It's oh going my to be God. coming out soon. That's so exciting. Yeah. I cannot wait. I... I'm already casting it in my head. I don't want to know who's in it because I have a dream cast already. But it says that he was also convicted of a murder for hire. And so, yes, I see the drug angle, but that I feel like could be a cover up for the murder for hire. Yes. I'm just throwing it down. I don't know why that feels right to me. Yeah. Because I just don't see Jam Master J doing that. I really don't. No. And, and he's a very dangerous guy. I mean, you're talking yeah. about someone who pretty much ran the scene in, you know, the, in the 80s. And, and then when they finally caught up to him, 
you know, it, it just, you know, he had already been running the scene for so long. Um, and, uh, they, they said he made so much money. Uh, there was, there was times allegedly he was making a million dollars a month. And like, from what we know of Run DMC, they weren't a part of either side of like the rap wars and they, they were known as the happy rappers. Yeah. They, they were doing their thing and right. it just doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like him. For, for, for a lot of the listeners that are listening who may not be familiar with 80s rap, rap has evolved a lot in 2020 because in the 80s, yes. <laughs> rap was very happy. You didn't, you didn't have anyone coming on a record saying that they didn't like someone or they wanted to kill anyone. It was just That's party music, <laughs> full of respect. You know, they were, you know, you were definitely representing where you were from. But mm-hmm. it was a majority of it was you were partying. It was party music. That's why Run DMC is so delightful. Like I listen to their music even today, and I I always feel great. Like I'm not saying modern rap is bad at all. I enjoy right. a lot of it, and like '90s rap too. If I want to get pumped up, there is some amazing songs for that. Like, of course. You want to throw down? That is what 90s rap is for. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like, love Absolutely. it. But Run DMC is, it like, I don't I don't know how to say it. It's like the sense of patriotism I don't have. Because um, <laughs> I'm not very patriotic. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, but like, you feel that pride of like, it's, I feel the same with boys to men when they like i hear uh motown philly like that same like i i also love philadelphia but i don't (laughs) because i'm not from there end of the road oh god every time every time i have to sing it and whoever i'm with is like again (laughs) we're doing this again and i was like i told you boys to men is one of the bands that i will sing no matter what if it's on in a chipotle you better be ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, for sure. Um, they, they definitely. I mean, if there's, I could say that when you listen to Run DMC, their music will transcend for generations to come because mm-hmm. you can listen to them no matter how old you are. I mean, their music just it crosses boundaries. I mean, they'll still be playing "Walk This Way" when we're. 70 80 90 they'll still be playing it's tricky oh and, God, and yes. all their songs are memorable records you know mm-hmm. um you know so yeah i definitely definitely feel where you're coming from and their videos they did really artistic videos especially the walk this way we talked about that the walk this way video when i was 11 i think i was 11 yeah is when i saw it and it's with them against Aerosmith and the way that they do their videos, like you kind of fall in love with them and the chemistry that they have together. Like they feel like a family together. And so like you root for them kind of like in a TV show where while you're watching is the reason um, is the chemistry between all the characters. It may not be the story, but you love those characters. And so like, you can kind of see why Run DMC came together and when they do their music and they do their videos, it looks like so much fun and you're having fun watching it. And 
that's kind of like it's not too cerebral and i'm not saying that's a problem i'm just throwing it out there that it's so much fun to like watch those videos and enjoy the music with them and see what they're doing and like being so grateful that they were the first ones to like pioneer hip hop into the mainstream and how they were able to do this while also being, I would say positive role models. And, um, and that's kind of why I'm saying like, I do feel like it's a gun for hire thing. Yes, that, that could be very possible. And, and, um, I would really want, I really want to see where this goes as far as the two men that have been indicted here. Mm-hmm. And I I really find it interesting that both men are pleading not guilty because you already have a receptionist that says, hey, Mr. Washington, I saw you. You were there. Yeah. So for him to say, hey, I didn't do this. I'm not guilty. I wonder what his story is going to be. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what his defense is. Yeah. And I'm also like the the one piece that doesn't make too much sense to me is why Ray was shot in the ankle. Like Oh, yes. So you're talking about his his friend Tony. Oh, Tony. Wait, yeah, Tony. His, yes. His friend Tony. So his his friend Tony um yeah, was sitting supposedly they were sitting on the couch and he was sitting furthest away from the door and Jam Master J was sitting closer to the door. So I kind of yeah, I I looked at that too as well and I said that's interesting in itself because I understand if you're hired to take someone out and you're going to take someone out but a majority of the time i think those people don't want anyone alive that can tell who they were or Mm -hmm. give them away so i kind of find it odd that you shoot someone in the ankle you know that he's probably hurt he's probably screaming he can't follow them yeah and that, exactly. I, I hate to say it, it goes with my murder for hire plot. They probably didn't want to kill anybody who they didn't have to. Wow. But then at the same time, wouldn't you worry that, hey, they may have saw my voice. They may know my, my you know, they may have saw my face. They may know my voice. Um, and it sounds like a lot of these people grew up together. They all knew each other. They, they're all from, from the Queens area. You know, they, they obviously saw each other more than one time. So maybe it was, uh, I'm just going to keep going down this path. Maybe yeah. Carl Jr. or Carl Jordan Jr., the one that they were the least familiar with, did all the talking. Yes, that's true. But still, like, to have to shoot someone you knew from childhood, I, well, do I hate anybody that much? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I, I don't. I, I could I do thought, it. You know, yeah, definitely. You know, you put yourself in those shoes, too. Like, how could you hate someone so much to the point where you feel like, I got to take them out? Or what collateral does someone have on you? Because that's how this works. Like, that's how people like Supreme work, is they have collateral on someone to where this is the less evil option. Right. And um, it, and at the time, uh, a lot of people may not know, but 50 Cent was not 50 Cent in 2002. He was still just about to blow up at this point in time. Mm-hmm. 
uh, a lot of people may not know, but um, in 2002, um, his first album just his his first album was Get Rich or Die Trying, and that album came out in in um, in 2003 was his big hit in the club. So he was just about to see star uh, superstar status. It was coming, but mm-hmm. at this point in time, he wasn't there just yet. Yeah, like he hadn't had Candy Shop or anything like that. He hadn't had Candy Shop or anything yet. So um, when you think about it, um, a lot of it with Supreme, you can kind of look at it and go, that does make sense. Mm-hmm. Like if you're after 50 Cent and you want to kind of get a retaliation back with the guy who's, you know, giving him all this fame and stardom and he hasn't even really gotten the stardom yet. Hey, maybe this guy will stop dealing and, and saying bad stuff about a good friend of mine, Ja Rule, and he won't talk anymore. And and that'll be a way to keep this guy quiet. Right. I do. I. It's so sad, too. And it's the politics of, I would say, the black community of New York, where they're there's so much infighting because I would say they were like pushed to do infighting. And I would say other cultures of New York were similar, like, you know, Italian infighting and all of that. And it's, it was starting to break up a bit because uh, John Gotti died in 2002. If you did not know. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wild. Right. Very Um, wild. Which, for those of you who do not know, um, I referenced him in another episode where he went to jail, but um, that's another New York mob boss. Um, there's so much infighting where, like, I don't want you to succeed because I'm not succeeding that way and that kind of thing. And it's sad that someone so talented got taken away where it could have been you know, more, if that makes sense. Oh, of course. Of course, definitely. That makes a a lot of sense. And um, for me, I kind of look at it as with Jam Master J, he had so much more going for himself. I mean, you're talking about a man that had his record label. Mm -hmm. He did stuff in his community for the kids. Yeah. Um, So it was more than music for him. Um, he had a lot going on and, and, uh, you know, the community loved him. And, um, I remember, uh, in 2002 when it happened, um, it was around the time I had just actually, I went to New York, uh, right around that time. And it was very, very, uh, it was sad in, in that city. And, Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of my friends were, you know, telling me, you know, what he meant not just to Queens, but, but to the city of, of New York. And, and, uh, he was definitely a pioneer legend and, uh, it was a sad time. And, and of course we spoke about nine 11 as well. Yeah. That just had happened, uh, some, some months before. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, it was a very, very sad time in, in the city. Yeah. And I bet you they did that then because they knew the police would be swamped still trying oh, to figure course. everything out. And, I find that so tragic. And as, again, someone who investigates cold cases and stuff like that, it's so tragic to see. It's understandable, but not acceptable when Mm. 
cases like this get pushed aside and like other cases like you understand why in this situation like they're still dealing with 9-11 and like the fallout from it but it's not acceptable like in in the past like in the in the future it's sorry it's funny you say that it's funny you say that because it, it brings me back to something else that i didn't mention so when the police was were asked about two things the involvement of Kenneth Supreme McGriff and why they they didn't move forward with that they said that there was not enough information for them to move forward on it and then when they were asked about the receptionist's uh, two claims they said also at the time that was not enough information that's plenty well they didn't believe women that was all I'm gonna say there I will roast a cop any day (laughs) (laughs) I mean they didn't believe women and then they didn't take a legitimate threat seriously. That's what I would say in regards to that. And it's because I'm sorry, I'm going to say it in 2002, New York, they were like, Oh, it's just infighting in the black community. This is, this is what they deserve. And it's not, it's not like, absolutely not. And it's not okay. Like his death and the whole situation around it should have been investigated to the furthest extent of course and it wasn't because the answer was quite simple and then you know in the black community as well we just we looked at it as this is not going to go anywhere what's going to happen unfortunately is they're going to sweep this under the rug Mm -hmm. we're never going to know who actually did it because we started of course looking at Tupac Shakur's murder, as yeah. well as Notorious B.I.G.'s murder, yeah. and we said they never found those guys. Why should we think that they're actually going to find the killer of Jam Master J? Exactly. Um, and, and I still can't believe. I mean, from 1997 till now, we don't know who killed Tupac. That's kind of crazy. It, it, exactly, and I feel like it's one of LA's best cover-ups. I mean, don't get me wrong. They have very, very good ones. But um, I feel like Tupac and B.I.G., like, they're both such good L.A. Unsolved Mysteries. And I feel like they already know the answer and just haven't released it. (laughs) I feel like that's the answer, is that they know who did it. And whoever it is was rich enough to pay him off yeah for sure and you know of course with them it's i mean there's all kinds of details that lead to marion suge knight um and of course he's not given any information and um i hope one day you know it all comes out yeah but uh you know that that there's a lot of information that leads you to people and i kind of find it weird that you know, the one guy that had all the information that really wanted to, you know, move forward with it has now passed away. And that was the attorney that was working with Notorious B.I.G. Mm-hmm. He came close to linking both of the murders. Yeah. And now he has passed away. So now it's it's like, who's going to take the torch to... I mean, hell, I will. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to let it die. Like... I feel like there's so many people, especially now, like a lot of people have lit the fire of we're not going to stand for this anymore. Like we're not. Right. And especially like why I've chosen to start this podcast is I'm not going to 
sit here and let people fade away into memory with no answers or no resolution, like without going down without a fight, you know? Um, I want to share the story. And if somebody knows something and feels like they can't tell, let's see what happens. And because what happened with Jam Master J, like that's so unacceptable. Not even the fact that he's famous, but like a young black man was gunned down in a recording studio. Um, had his whole life ahead of him. He had so much to give. He had so much potential. And in a past episode, Andre Jones, it was a similar situation where a young black man was killed. And it's it's never a positive view of a headline. It's always like, black man killed, move on. No. Yeah, and the sad <laughs> thing, too, is, I mean, you're talking about someone who was just 37 years old. He's young. Like, oh, my God. He's not that much older than I am now. Can you imagine? So can you imagine just at that age, just not being here anymore? I mean, there's so much more. I mean, yeah, we're, we're you know, in uh, the 30s and, you know, you look at it as I look at my life as I, st- I still got so much more to do. You yeah. know, there's so much more to even think about not being here. You know, gosh, that's just. I feel like I haven't really did anything. I think about it like he just started this record label. Exactly. And had this superstar guy that he, like, I would say took a chance on. Uh, this super, like, he took a chance on 50 Cent because he, he was probably not, like, that great of a human being yet. And he had this record label. Like, who knows what he could have done with it because Jay-Z came later and he could have soared and how many artists would he have helped bring to the top and how many successful black artists would we have now? And like, what could he have done for the community? Yeah. Like, and that was just taken away from us for what? Yeah, And, and it's, it's crazy because if you look at it, it's kind of interesting because right around this time, I, I mean, of course, 50 cent is now 50 cent. Yeah. But, uh, one thing I will say is I'm I'm glad that 50 Cent does acknowledge who gave him his start. If they ever ask him about Jam Master J, he he always talks about you know yeah. how Jam Master J you know pretty much helped him out when he was at a time where you know he didn't know where he was really gonna turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jam Master J was there for him. Of course, he ends up getting connected with Dr. Dre and, yeah. and Eminem, and and the rest is history. And um, and now he's he's this big mogul, but you know, um, yeah, who would know? Like like you said, who knows what would have happened if you know he continued living his life and wasn't shot or, or gunned down because he had just discovered Fifty Cent. I mean, gosh, can you just imagine? Like you yeah. just you discover a guy like that, and then you know this happens. And I think he had like. I would say a nose for talent because I mean, he was able to pull Definitely. with run DMC like that. He joined them. He was like, I'd like to be a part of the band. If I remember correctly of how they came together. Yeah. So how they actually came together was, uh, it was running, running DMC. So run is a uh, reverend run. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, uh, DMC, uh, were the group. It was just two of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they used to actually just wear plaid jackets and uh, nice dress shirts. And DMC recalls 
the time they went to pick up Jam Master J to record a song. And they said that he came outside with his own swagger. He had his <laughs> own his own dress appeal. He had no laces in his Adidas. He had jeans on and he had an Adidas track track jacket. Yeah. And it, with with that with the hat. And uh, DMC said, you know what, that's going to be the, our look, you know, that's that's going to be how we come out. And that's, so, you know, we're not going to be doing the plaid jackets. This is our look, you know, you know, no, no shoelaces with Adidas shell toe shoes and, and an Adidas track track jacket with, with a hat. And uh, that was Jam Master J. He just had his own style mm-hmm. and um, it, it definitely bled into the, the run DMC culture. He definitely was a part of that yeah because they they saw what he represented and and they said you know what we may not be you know as well styled as this guy so you know what we're gonna you know take what he's doing and and we're going to you know of course some may say it's biting in these days but back then you know who really cared if you took a little bit from somebody and and made it your own thing whatever I mean, nothing is entirely original. That's very true. Yeah, and so, like, honestly, well, one, he joined the band, and two... He did. Like, he was... They needed a DJ. Yeah, and I I remember, like, reading this article about him before I knew that you were going to come on the show, and um, (laughs) that he was like, I really love what you're doing, and I want to join the band, and they were like, yes. (laughs) Like, that was the sentiment. Yeah. And, um, that's like, that's brilliant and beautiful. And I love that, that like what you just said about how they saw his style and they were like, that's what we want. (laughs) Yeah. And and the crazy thing about it was Rev Run was the DJ in the group. But the crazy thing about it was when he started rapping, Russell Simmons said, Hey, if you're going to rap and DMC's going to rap, you guys are going to need a DJ. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, that's when Jam Master J came into it, came into the equation. And the funny thing about it was he already had all the equipment. He had everything. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like they were picking up a friend and they were going, OK, now we have to figure out how we get like DJ equipment. No, Jam Master J already had it. So it was like they were already picking up a guy that already came along with not only just his style, but he already had the music. He was already a DJ. He are, it was just like you were acquiring someone that already had the skills. Yeah, and that's, it's like a beautiful, like, serendipitous moment. And, like, we could only be so lucky for that. Oh, yeah. To be, like, to be blessed with that, you know? Of course. But I definitely, like, I love the theories that you presented and i definitely am gonna go with that he was set up for a fake drug heist because i don't think he needed the money quote unquote especially if he got that million dollar virgin deal and and the thing that gets me with the money and i don't mean to cut you off oh no you're fine this man really i mean i kind of find it hard to believe right now that the the police right now are saying that he along with two other friends were um, basically uh, attempting a drug deal and he was selling 10 kilograms of cocaine because I would be really curious to see his 
past in in the drug life. I don't even think he had one. I don't think so either. Not from what I've read. So it, it's kind of baffling to me that they have a story here in 2020 that says, oh, yeah, they they were, you know, basically meeting up with a distributor in Maryland for, for some cocaine. And, and, you know, Jam Master Jay was in love with the, the drug deal so much, he decided to cut his friends out of the deal and take all the money. It, it's just... I won't say it's a stretch, but it's like, where is all this coming from? I feel like it's a stretch. Like, you're going to yeah. dislocate your shoulder on that stretch. Yeah, it, you dislocate your, <laughs> your shoulder, your arm, everything, right? Because And only because, like, can I get some receipts on that? Do you have anyone yes, to definitely. verify that he's the one doing it? Because if you're not going to believe the receptionist, then I'm not believing that. That's true. And you know who does run drugs? supreme that's true i'm just throwing it down that it sounds like the crime that they want to like push off on jam master j looks like yeah it was a drug run no that's a cover-up for you hired these two men to go kill him and and keep in mind of course a lot of these drug lords i mean they are very well attached i mean they have people working for them in law enforcement they have people working for them in the you know as lawyers and attorneys they Mm -hmm. have people all over the place so i mean who knows if he has somebody in nypd that is throwing and covering up all kinds of stuff because i mean that's why it took 18 years to get this far Yes. And now that, you know, we're putting out this podcast, I'm going to be looking over my shoulder for a while. <laughs> be like, ah, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I, I don't think, I don't think they know who we are. And I mean, even though, you know, we, we got like a handful of followers on, on Instagram and YouTube, I, I think we're okay. Yeah, we'll be fine. I mean, <laughs> what's he going to do? Like, don't shoot my dog. That's all I care. <laughs> shoot me, not my dog. That's all. I'll take the bullet. My dog will be fine. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? This will go viral. We get like 2 million listeners from it. you know. Hey. And they'll find out I'm right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this goes viral. and uh, it, it goes viral. They put a hit on us. And you know. I'm a millennial. I'm like, all right, it's my time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we start getting asked to do all these shows across the country because, you know, now people, people want to hear what we got to say. And supreme is just furious oh beautiful that's all we need (laughs) another drug lord angry at me (laughs) man look at what you've done (laughs) (laughs) well yeah like that's all of those are so plausible and so wild and i love that like yeah i have a one of my episodes the most plausible answer is a conspiracy theory and i like i love it when that happens where it's like the plausible answer is not boring at all and a lot of them aren't yeah especially when it comes to like somebody who's beloved and oh yeah because like tupac had enemies uh big had enemies but like i don't think jam master j had that many enemies like Maybe his friends had enemies, but, like, he yeah. was very beloved. And as far as I'm aware, like, I could get angry tweets being like, listen, he was one son of a bitch. And I'm like, I don't know. Right. That. Google didn't tell me. But, but even with this, I mean, you bring up Tupac, you bring up uh, Notorious B.I.G. Yeah. 
you can kind of see the direction that both of them were going in was not good. You were just kind of looking at it. I remember at that point in time, I was living on the East Coast, and I just was hoping that it would just die down and, and the beef would stop because it was getting really bad to the point where I remember if someone from the West Coast came to the East Coast, it was a problem. And this could just be like somebody that just was visiting. Mm-hmm. They don't know anything from anything. So when I saw it getting to that point, I said, this isn't good. So um, when I remember when Tupac got shot, I didn't think he was going to die. I thought, oh, he's got shot again. He'll survive. And then he passed away. And I was like, oh, man, that's not good. Yeah. So I remember hearing that the notorious B.I.G. was making a trip to Los Angeles to, to go to the Soul Train Music Awards. And right when I heard that, I said, oh, I don't like this. I just I just thought to myself, and I was living on the East Coast at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So I already felt in my heart, I don't like this. So when he actually got shot, it wasn't, I wasn't so shocked to the point where like I was with Jam Master J. Jam yeah. Master J, it just came out of left field. I was like, why, why would anyone kill Jam Master J? Like, he's, you know, the hype man. He's the coolest, you know, uh, on, on TV. He's always smiling. So it just, mm-hmm. he really didn't have any idea of where it would come from or where it was coming from. Biggie, Tupac, you knew there was some beef brewing there. So yeah. when you heard of them getting shot, you were like, okay, all right. They, they haven't liked each other for some while. Okay, you know, Tupac did die a couple of years ago. This could be retaliation. You kind of had your your stories played in your mind already. Yeah, definitely. I could say, like, it would be like Dolly Parton getting shot randomly. Because, like, yeah. she didn't do anything. She's, like, she's beloved. Nobody doesn't right. like Dolly Parton. And right. I feel like Jam Master Jay is in that echelon of, like, Nobody doesn't like him. He's so nice. and Exactly. So that's why, like, it hurts so much. You're like, wait, what? Oh, my God. Yeah. And that's why I find this story to be more compelling, I would say. Not, like, more important, but more compelling than the Tupac and the Biggie story. Because even though those are both very important stories, I think we all know them. Because everybody mm-hmm. does oh, it yeah, to death. Absolutely. <laughs> like, it does it to death. I've seen... Almost every documentary. Also, Kurt Cobain. Like, I've seen all of those. Seen uh-huh. them. We've seen them. Yep. Uh, but, no, like, Jam Master Day just doesn't get talked about. And I think that's wild. Because of all the people in the world, he should be talked about the most. He was the nicest. And, and you, know, you know why. It's, it's kind of interesting you say that. I think it's a very good point you bring up. Um, hip-hop now is a worldwide phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Right. But at the same time, you have people that are now being introduced to the world of hip hop that don't really know where it started from. Yeah. And, and, and it's start. And a lot of people aren't aware that the DJ played a very pivotal part mm-hmm. in hip hop music at the start. Even now, not as so much now, but like in the beginning, the DJ was the person that got you ready for who was coming on the stage. Yep. They 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 played the songs that you wanted to hear. Um. And uh, and when you you talk about the DJs that really got 
hip-hop going and, and really pioneered this thing. I mean, you're talking about, you know, Grandmaster Kaz and, mm. and Grandmaster Flash and DJ Red Alert and, and um, you know, these guys really got it going. So when you when you add Jam Master J into the mix, you know, he was one of those guys. He, he mm-hmm. I remember there was a, a show I was watching and on, on YouTube and uh, before he brought out Run DMC, he would always make the audience say his name. You know, they'll oh. say, you know, hey, you know, you're here to see Ron DMC, the dummy coming out in a minute. But before I bring them out, you know, I want you all to know who I am. And he would say, you know, I'm Jam. And they would say, Master J, you know, and they, he would make them say it over and over. And um, I think as a DJ, he was probably one of the first DJs that people knew just as much about the DJ mm-hmm. as they knew about the, the artist that he was working with. I love it. Like, I love the dynamic and like and then he brings him out oh that's so yeah, cool and then he brings him out and i mean you, you look at it now and and um of course you've had your, your eric b and your rakim and and mm-hmm. now i mean you got you know um i don't know if you're fam- familiar with d nice and everything he's doing on uh club quarantine on instagram oh, no, no but i i will look into that and uh it's very very cool he actually started he's another pioneer too as well started out in the 80s oh. uh, with boogie down productions as well but I'll link now that. it's it's not it's not very bad you're not looked or frowned upon as a dj like a dj like because of people like jam master j you know you you bring a smile to the people's face people love a dj and mm-hmm. it's because of people like him and and how they knew how to control the crowd you know, um, because, you know, before it was just, okay, they play the music, okay, whatever. But, you know, with with, with hip-hop, it's, it's different. You know, they were sort of like the guy that got you excited about who you were going to see. Yeah. You know? So it's kind of like the guy who, like, opened the party and kept it going and, like, made ex- you feel, exactly. you know, like, whole experience type thing. Yeah, so, and then now you have DJs that, you know, I mean, now you look at DJs that are all over the world that just travel the world like Calvin Harris. Yeah. And uh, um, I'm blanking out on my other guy's name, Stevie Yoki. I mean, yeah. they they just, I mean, every, I know some of them even are resident DJs in Vegas and they're bringing in yeah. six figures, you know? Yeah. And um, if you look at all of this, it's because of what people like Jam Master J did in the 80s. Yeah, it's you know? and it's amazing how it's evolved into different areas of music. You know, exactly. Yeah, because you wouldn't call electronica and, and house and yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't call what Calvin Harris does hip hop, but no, exactly. He's still a DJ, and, but he is a DJ. Yeah, yeah, and what he does Exa- is absolutely very unique and very well done. He pioneered a different way, I would say. Same with Steve Aoki. He does his own thing too, and like DJ remixes of songs. Mm-hmm. Some people like love those better than the originals. And yeah, you're right. There's a there's a remix from K Trinata to Janet Jackson's uh If. I love that remix. Oh it's so funny. God. I listen to that remix more than I listen <laughs> to the actual song. And everyone knows I love Janet Jackson. I said it in yeah. episode three. I renamed Jackson, Mississippi to Janet Jackson, Mississippi. Really? Yeah. So, so if, you, if you get a chance, go listen to K. Trinata, his uh-huh. remix to the to If. Okay, I will, because I'm so excited. 
I I definitely will. She's oh, I love Janet. Yeah, I, I love Janet Jackson too. And, and it's funny when you brought up, uh, you know, these DJs is doing remixes to songs. It's like it's another way of another avenue of bringing in income as mm-hmm. a DJ. You know that you just brought up because I mean these DJs. I mean now you. I mean you got. Of course we all know DJ Khaled. Yeah. You know, look at what he's done. Oh yeah, and he's so talented. Yeah, he's he's so talented, but you know all of those people. I I don't think we would have seen them if it wasn't for guys like Jam Master J. Especially you know? like oh. making him or putting himself out as solo. I am Jam Master J, not just a member of Rem DMC. Exactly. Yeah. It, it was. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's yeah. I I really love that legacy. Rem DMC is still incredibly popular, and oh yeah, they're so influential even to this day and i'm glad that we were able to talk about the the legacy that he left behind even past his death and isn't his like son doesn't he go by like uh jam master jason yes um he does have a son and his son actually was um his nephew is in the group that i was actually speaking about um just earlier Mm -hmm. um so his nephew actually is in the Rusty Waters group uh, that he signed. Uh-huh. And his son is actually, um, Jam Master J's son is known as, I want to say his, he goes by Little J, but I want to make sure that I have it right. Because I, I believe he is also in the hip-hop game as well. And he's, you know, not letting his... Um, father's legacy die he's he's keeping his father's legacy yeah so he goes by dj jam master jason that is incredible the fact that he well one he honored his father in that way but also the fact that that worked amazing (laughs) yeah so his son's name is jason mizell jr (laughs) yeah so he decided to instead of going with jam master jay he he decided to go by DJ Jam Master Jason. That's so cool! Like yeah, that is cool. That is cool. <laughs> Cause it's Jason. And yep. Yes, that's so cool. That that is really cool. And he's a DJ in Atlanta. Oh, in so Atlanta, really? Yeah. So he's still doing his he's doing his thing. He's been a DJ since two thousand and nine. So his his son's been a DJ for quite some time. That's amazing. I don't know that much about him, but I'm gonna, as I always do, look up everything I can. <laughs> that that's yeah. That that is very awesome. So I I love that. Like you said, when. The legacy carries on with the kids. Yeah. That's awesome. Especially if, like, it was also their passion or something that they shared with. Because, like, sometimes, you know, the kids, like, they're that's not their thing. But they right. still keep the memory alive. But, like, when they have that shared passion with a parent and they do go for it, that's always incredible. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, they always, uh, of course, if they can get through getting the backlash of you're not better than your dad. Yeah. You know. Normally, they're okay, but a lot of times, those are the ones, you know, if, if they can get through that, they, they turn out just fine, but yeah. they got to get through that. There's some of them that, you know, when they get that talk, you know, they don't mm-hmm. deal with it as well. They, you know, they go back in there, they crawl underneath a rock, and they don't come out again, and it's, you know, it's like, hey, you know what? You're your own person. You're never going to be your dad or your mom. Just be yourself. Yeah. I think uh, this grown-up generation of millennials, well, we're all grown up now, but um, 
<laughs> yeah, I was like, I forgot. We're all grown up. We're all like, I don't care if I'm mom or dad. I am myself. What's up? And I love that about us. I love most of my generation's attitude toward criticism in that way that I'm aware of. <laughs> and I've never met everyone from my generation, but those that I have encountered and had to work with or like listen to how they dealt with criticism in like a public space, they're like, I'm not trying to be mom or dad. I'm being me. Yep. That's the best way to do it. You can't be mom. You can't be a dad. You can only be you. And that's better because I don't Absolutely. need a repeat. Absolutely. Because they live their life. And you're going to live your life, too. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's going to be things that you do similar and you're going to have similarities because you came from them. Yeah. But you're going to basically have your own path and, and you got to basically be the one that, you know, uh, lets people know what direction you're, this path is going to go in because it's, it's your life at the end of the day. Yeah. And it's more exciting to see what a new mus musician will do. They can't do the same thing. Obviously, trends have changed. Also, they're not that person and they've yep. had a different life experience. But it's so exciting to see what they're going to do that's new, you know? And Absolutely. it might be the same fans cup of tea. It might not. Who cares? There's always a fan out there for you now. We got the internet. Um. <laughs> you, it's unbelievable. I find it so crazy that with the internet, like you can release stuff, music whenever you want to. It's not like you need a record label anymore. I know. It's same with it's, this podcast. <laughs> look at this. Look at the podcast. I mean, I, I really think that the internet is creating so many different avenues of income for people. Uh, that were not there before. Yeah. And um, it's it's amazing. And also like senses of community. I remember being in middle school and high school and there was no, like I didn't have a sense of community because I didn't have people around me that understood or liked the things I liked. I remember this insult that was thrown at me once that was like, I knew too many Phil Collins songs. And I was like, I don't think that's a me problem. Phil Collins is the man. He, right? Like, excuse me. And I like I told my dad that. And he was like, what'd you say? And I was like, I don't think that's a me problem. And he was like, right answer. And <laughs> I was like, I was busy listening to Phil Collins. Like, I don't think. And so now that you have the internet, you can connect with people who are like you, but they're so far away. But I'm a grown up, you know, like I can be smart about how to do it and it's like Absolutely. these communities that are built on common shared interests and you don't feel so alone anymore you know you don't have to be in new york city to feel like you've got your people you know yeah and the funny thing is you just you just reminded me of something like remember when people would have pen pals yes it's sort of like the internet has created like you could have a pen a new pen pal every day if you want to oh yeah all across the world that's what twitter's for <laughs> that's what that's what twitter's for and i don't think you know of course you know we lived in a time where the internet was just evolving now yeah. that the internet has just evolved it's like you know, you got everything at your fingertips. If you want to talk to someone in, you know, I don't know, uh, the Middle East, you could talk to someone in the Middle East. If you want to talk to someone in Russia tomorrow, you can do that. Yeah, you could. And keep up with friends who've moved a lot easier. And it's great. I mean, there's pros and cons, of course. But of course. 
I want to talk about the pros. <laughs> One yep. day I'm going to do internet murders and be like, never get on the internet today, ever. It's over. <laughs> it's all terrible. But, you know, it's also the great, like, we're able to share information, like, with the Jam Master J story. And, like, there's so many people on the internet who have helped solve cold cases because information was so readily available. And being able to like we are right now we're actually not even sitting in the same room together we're (laughs) doing this over the internet and it's incredible and i think back to 2002 where that wasn't possible like i would have had to get in a car yeah come over to your location i would have been like how does this microphone work (laughs) (laughs) you know um this is my desktop computer <laughs> where I mean, yeah yeah i know absolutely right? it's so funny if you really it's funny you bring that up because you look at it we've had a couple of conversations about what we want to do you let me know hey you know what this is um what i'm going to do i'm gonna send you some information and that was it it, it was very easy yeah and here we are you know um and it's all because of technology but like yeah if you think about no technology there i mean yeah it would have been someone finding a way to get together you know riding you know Mm -hmm. what time i can actually take a drive over there and then of course we're here in california so california has all kinds of traffic yeah well yeah so i mean you would have had to add that element into it and you know of course you know i could have probably most likely would have been late (laughs) (laughs) we're on california time uh Like, I'm sorry. So, you know, look at all the factors you cut out because of technology. It's so true. And, like, you think about these musical artists back in, like, the 80s who had none of this. Like, absolutely none of this. They were just going for it. I can't even comprehend Jam Master Jay and his DJ abilities without any of this technology. And, like, you listen to his his work and you're like, this is incredible. Like, how, how did he do that with just this? And I'm over here, like, I can't scratch anything. And it's so funny you bring up DJing. So I remember this because I was a little kid, but Mm -hmm. some people may not know. As DJs, they used to carry crates of records around. So now, fast forward to 2020, if you have a MacBook and you have a hard drive, you just download a bunch of songs onto a hard drive and you bring your MacBook wherever you go and you're a DJ. Yep. It's it's so crazy. Like now I look at it's so funny. Like I love the sound of records and I just recently started a record collection. But mm-hmm. just imagine in 2020 having a lug about 800 records around everywhere you went. That's what those guys did. Yeah. I mean, talk, that's what roadies would do is like all of that heavy lifting and for the DJ and the band. Like they would have so much stuff because they'd need he needed all of those records and he needed that that was the, also part of the talent is being able to access what you needed really quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And making all of those warm uh when you play a record it's a very warm sound that's coming out with uh tech technology like a CD or an MP3 or anything like that. It's kind of like cold and very very hard sounding and so there's like definitely a difference in it. It's it's not as crisp with a record but it feels i love the sound of records when you're feeling it there and i feel like jam master jay would be like no i'm sticking with the records yeah yep i could see that too (laughs) 
can I get this on vinyl? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which a lot of people are coming um, out with their albums on vinyl now, which is great. They are, and they're pretty pricey. They are pretty pricey. I'm not happy about it, but then again, (laughs) don't have a record player. (laughs) Yeah, I just just recently got one, and the funny thing was I'm thinking, okay, you know, CDs were going for, what, 15 to 17 bucks? Eh, vinyls won't be that much. Yeah, right. There's some vinyls that are like 50 bucks. There's some that are like 200 bucks. You're like, okay. Yeah, you're like, do I like the whole album that much? Exactly. Can I find this single somewhere? (laughs) Can I get this in a 45? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I mean, because you've got like albums like Michael Jackson's Thriller. They're classics. So now when they come back in vinyl. Oh, they're going to charge you an arm and a leg for it. Oh, yeah. Like, if they reprinted Nina Simone's Cinderman. Oh, wow. I would give them my arm and leg. That whole album is just beautiful. But then again, I'm hearing that if you have an old classic vinyl, it's worth a lot of money. Yeah, so. I told my dad that that's all I want in the will is his record collection. Nice. <laughs> that's nice. all I want. Just the records and maybe any video games that I left. But those are still mine. <laughs> the video games not the video games <laughs> those are mine <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> but yeah so i feel like i'm glad that we we talked about what happened with jam master j but we also really hit hard on his legacy and i think this was more of a celebration of the legacy he left absolutely and i feel great about that <laughs> i do i do i do too and it was a pleasure i look forward to us doing some more uh talking and, and podcasting together oh yeah a lot of fun you're my music history pro because there we go for once thank you so much <laughs> yeah for once i didn't have to do the research <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't in there like what's gonna scare vaughn <laughs> if he listens to this episode he's gonna be like i knew it <laughs> oh my goodness but thank you so much for being on this episode and sharing you're all welcome. of this information it was amazing and where can like our listeners find you again i'm going to put it in the description but just in case sure so if you have instagram which i'm sure a lot of people do you can find me at at francois the great underscore so it's f-r-a-n-c-o-i-s-t-h-e-g-r-e-a-t underscore and uh, you can also find myself and the rest of my uh, basically castmates that we do our podcast, Luminary Sounds, uh, on YouTube uh, at um, Luminary Sounds, which is L-U-M-I-N-A-R-Y Sounds. And uh, we have a couple of episodes up there because people want to visually see us. And we're also on Spotify and iTunes as well. And uh, Luminary Sounds on Instagram. So definitely check us out. Follow follow me. Follow the crew. You know, stop by, say hi. I, I, I won't bite. I'll say hi back. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's been a pleasure. If anybody is a musician or anything and is really interested in getting in contact with you, is, what would be the best way? Uh, you can go to our website. Our page is luminary-sounds with an S dot com. Uh, and leave us a submission. Okay. Uh, leave us a song or, or, you know, your website of where we can get your music. And a lot of times we'll, um, we, we have something called Luminary Radio, 
which is our story in Instagram. We put up new songs, you know, every couple of days okay. for, for our followers to check out and listen. And, and you know, we will definitely feature uh, one of your songs in our story. Awesome. Just in case, you know, I bet some of our listeners may be musical, especially if they're going to see this episode go up. Yeah, you have been amazing. And I actually learned so much today, which was delightful. Any listeners who want to figure out how to get in touch with us, just listen to the outro because that's what it's there for. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I know. I make sure I never forget how to do it. Um, But so this has been Let's Talk About the Facts. And I am Elizabeth Fury. And this was Francois the Great. And he was great. So he lived up to that name. And (laughs) we will see you next week. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. This podcast was surprisingly produced by me. Original music by Miranda Miller. You can find us both on Twitter and Instagram at TalkAboutFacts. That's T-A-L-K-A-B-T-F-A-C-T-S. Or email recommendations to ltatfpodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe out there, friends.